We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. Mike is in transit to Philadelphia, and as such, we're going to hold off on our net rating pod. Uh, Mike's a big net rating guy, and so I'd love for him to be here on that. Lakers fell yesterday, lost by 13 to the Toronto Raptors. It's funny, we lost by 14 to Cleveland in a game that was competitive throughout most of it, and the final score looked a little worse than I think it actually was. And then yesterday, we were never in that game, right? It was 11 nothing. It came back and, you know, competed a bit. And then Toronto just whooped them in the second quarter. And well, no, that was AD. Pete. Like the Lakers yeah. never led. It was a wire to wire win for the Raptors. They look like the more physical and just better team with LeBron and AD. Because they were. Yes, <laughs> because because they were they were <laughs> players taller than six foot five are important to have. And it, it's funny. There's been no point throughout this season, D, where we've had Every one of our guys, and that like rarely happens for any team. That's not exceptional for the Lakers. Although we do have the again the most different starting lineups in the NBA so far this year, and we're talking you know the most played lineup only has forty seven minutes, and that again is the lowest in the NBA. That said, though, um, we've had a lot of games where we've been without guards, but it's remarkable how quickly the anybody over six foot six goes out of the lineup, and you really see the impact of that. And that was really what I saw in last night's game is that was a game that, you know, Lakers never really stood a chance in, in large part, because even if we did force them into a miss, which we rarely did, although when we did, it was often in a zone look, which I think we're going to get into a little bit later. Toronto still cleaning up the second chance points. They led the league in second chance points. They're getting out in transition, just a bigger, stronger, faster type of performance from Toronto. So tell, tell me, what do you see from them? That's exactly what I saw. Right. And so. When you play against the Toronto Raptors, Pete, if I told you the Lakers are going to play the Toronto Raptors and based off what you know of the roster, the Lakers roster, as it was constructed going into the season, who would be the three most important players that I would say, like, like, hey, Pete, who are the three most important players you'd want to guarantee be available against the Toronto Raptors? (laughs) Anthony Davis, uh, LeBron James, and... 
Gosh, there'd be a couple of players for the third one, um, but Wenyan would be up there for sure. Um, I was going to yeah. say, Wenyan may not be number three, but he's going to be at least within the next three names that are mentioned. Yeah. Right? And, and, and that's not- because they got so many six eight, six nine dudes with long arms and all of that. Like, they very much have a type. Yeah, so just looking at the roster, you probably would have been like, oh, well, Russ is going to be important. And I thought Russ looked like one of the few players on the Lakers who could hang physically in that game. Like mm-hmm. Thomas Bryant looked like a player who could hang physically in that game. And then that was kind of it. Like Damian Jones mm-hmm. was bouncy and he did some stuff. But, you know, there was not a lot of like, oh, I'm showing a high level of basketball competence and like and with the proper athletic floor that you want from right. from a guy like even Austin got by on and I think we're going to talk about Austin a little bit later mm-hmm. too he got by on guile and 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 just sort of craft and like oh I'm drawing a couple of fouls here here or there but when it was sort of like hey my tools against your tools Austin was outgunned by OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes. And that's to be expected, right? To a certain extent, Austin was an undrafted free agent and Scotty Barnes was a top five pick and Pascal Siakam's like an elite all NBA level forward. And Ananobi is just one of those dudes who probably would have been in the top 10 if not for the knee injuries that that he dealt with while while in college. And so these dudes are elite athletes and the Lakers didn't, didn't have enough of those to match up with them. Like, And so without LeBron and without AD, and we mentioned it on the pod yesterday, there was, I think Mike said it best, like, the cynical NBA fan in him is sort of just like, well, one of the best chances the Lakers have is if Toronto just sort of falls mm-hmm. asleep and like is like, sees all the guys out and is just like, we're not going to take you seriously. But that's not how the Raptors are wired. In fact, they right. came out like sharks with like smelling chum in the water. To get my right? numbers, yeah, yeah. And so I was laughing because I I was on the game preview for Lakers.com yesterday, so I wrote up the three things stuff and. When I was looking at a bunch of stuff um, on on uh, the Raptors, I was sort of surprised because I haven't been keeping as close to tabs on the Raptors in terms of like what each guy's specific numbers are, more just like trends of what they're doing from a team wide sure. perspective. And I was surprised to see how poorly Van Vliet had been shooting the ball. Like he's been sub forty mm-hmm. from the field, right? And so I'm mm-hmm. just like, oh man, Van Vliet. Like what's going on with Van Vliet? And then he comes out and just is like bombing away. He hit like a 30 footer and and just (laughs) so to your point, the like it's time to get mine. Like they saw the version of the Lakers that were out there and they're just like, hey, man, we we're ball pressuring. We're going to get out in transition. We're going to we're going to get out to a big lead. So what do you take then from a game like this, D? It's easy to be like, ah, one of 82, you flush it down, right? Like the Lakers basically punted the game. But I do think a couple things happened in the game that are something that will translate forward to future games, both good and bad. Yeah, so I had told you and Mike this in uh, the text thread, but right when the Lakers went zone, 
Boucher hit a couple of like foul line jumpers on middle flashes and Toronto looked prepared to deal with the zone, which they should. Mm-hmm. Like Nick Nurse is a is a very creative X's and O's coach and he zones up a lot defensively himself. Right. And so you would expect his team to have some answers for his own defense. And so they knew what they wanted to get to offensively against the zone. But if it was going to be like foul line jumpers for Chris Boucher or even Pascal Siakam or any of their guys who were just basically getting layups at the rim, then I was just like, hey, like they should play zone every possession the rest of the game. Now, that's not what happened, right? Mm -hmm. But I thought them getting some reps in their zone defense was super important. And so let's start there just from a tactical standpoint. That was one of the things that stood out to me because you're right in that there's not a lot of like, aggregate this is our team this is what we learned like no there's not a lot of that but reps at things that you may actually want in the future is that's what I think they got from from this game and it started with the zone defense for me a hundred percent and in terms of where that fits into our overall big picture that to me is way more for when Anthony Davis is off the court it might be if we want to do some uh AD and four guard lineups which we've done here and there but the purpose of a two three zone in particular which is what the Lakers played and it's the most common zone defense that goes back to early early basketball in terms of that's a coach's well the team we're playing is bigger and more athletic than we are and we'll get whatever they want at the rim if we play man-to-man defense and that's what we saw in that uh in the first quarter especially Lakers were primarily in man to start the game Raptors had a 40-point quarter or close to it to in the first and just getting really easy little jump stop floaters with very little contest in the lane and a big part of that is because TB in particular the ask of the five in our man-to-man coverage in a pick and roll in particular is you got to be able to backpedal and jump. And he just can't do it. He just doesn't have the physical tools to be able to really do that. And so when it's Anthony Davis, like part of the reason why our defense has been good is that like, if you have to ask somebody to do something unreasonable on defense, ask Anthony Davis to do something unreasonable on defense because he does unreasonable things on defense all the time. And I mean that in the best of ways, right? But it's like, okay, I need you to sort of guard this guy, but if he passes it. I need you to backpedal real quick and break this up. And really, Wenyon is the only other big that we have that can do that, that can backpedal into a deflected lob or, uh, you know, is really much of a rim protector. Although TP got some nice help blocks, I thought, in this game and, and in the Cleveland game as well. And so the 2 threes defense helps to limit dribble penetration, which I think is an important thing for this team to at least have in their bag. Defensively, most good teams, and you spoke to this with Nurse as, uh, as one of these guys, he's got way more than a couple, but ideally you have a couple of good looks. We've talked a lot about the Lakers center fields, uh, pick and roll coverage, and we basically play the same way for most of the game. We're switching a lot less than we used to. That's in large part because our guards and our forwards are small, right? You, you need size across the board to really switch effectively. And we've only got that in, in a couple of places. And so, Having a zone look, especially a 2-3 look, is going to be super important to this team. And it's one of those things, D, that it has a limited ceiling. Like, there's no dominant 2-3 zone defense, you know? Like, And it's one of those things that if you stay in it too long, a team will get into their flow. And like you said, the Raptors knew how to get an open shot against it. But if it's like, you know, a Scotty Barnes 17 footer with a hand in his face or a Chris Boucher elbow line jumper, that's way better than the alternative. Right. And so it's one of those things where 
with AD off the floor long term, those minutes defensively, we want to be as good as we can be. And we've seen with him out just the massive difference between him in the game and out of the game. And part of it is asking a big man to do something that he can't really do in TB. And so seeing the zone looks and seeing them be decent for good stretches of the game was encouraging. And I think something we can build off of going forward. Yeah, I also think, too, that it gives the team an opportunity to see how teams are going to attack them in the zone and what potential patches to fix the things where teams are finding success against them in those zone zone looks. So you're right in that one of the reasons why the Lakers are going to, to zone is, A, because they want to be able to swarm interior players and they want to force teams into shooting outside shots, right? And they want to keep the ball in front of them. But then Mm -hmm. one of the things that pro teams do that, like, college teams and, like, lower-level teams do not do against the zone is they screen. So pro teams screen the guards in zone in order to Mm -hmm. try to get that dribble penetration as well. And... When Toronto started to screen the top of the zone and then spread. So Toronto attacked a 2-3 zone the way that you should. And they went to a one guard front. So they were looking to split the gaps every single time, right? And and this is important. Uh, When you're playing a zone defense, um, you want to have the opposite guard front of what they have. So if you're playing a 2-3 zone, you want a one guard front. And you want to get in that gap right between the two that are up top. If you're facing a 1-3-1 zone, which is – a little more rare in the NBA, you want to have that two guard front, right? You want to be in the gap. So that's kind of the strategy behind it is you want to be the opposite of whatever the defense is. 100%. And so what Toronto started to do was they were putting like Van Vliet, like, A, like you're going to run a one guard front. We're going to put two monster wings in the, like in those gaps that are at the shoulder of the arc basically. Mm -hmm. And then they were running back line action with someone running the baseline corner to corner, and then someone flashing into the paint like Boucher in order to sort of get that entry pass in the middle of the zone. So they were pressuring the gaps every opportunity they, well, they could. And if the guy like Boucher who flashed didn't get the ball, he would actually come up and set a ball screen on -hmm. one of those guards. And so Toronto started to have success at breaking down the Lakers' defense off of the dribble, and they started to get the same exact looks they were getting out of (laughs) man-to-man looks that they... And that's why the Lakers started to abandon their zone. But it's important that the Lakers see looks like that against their zone so they get it on tape and they can start to figure out this is the way we're going to play those sorts of actions and where is the where is the bad shooter where can we help and where can we pinch off in order to show the support to cut off that dribble penetration which is why you're in the zone in the first place right and so that cat and mouse game the lakers didn't have their horses first of all and so when it's austin reeves in a forward position in the zone right right or JTA. And one of the bottom three. Yeah. Yeah, right. If you're on the bottom and that's your look, it's sort of like, well, okay. And Or suddenly Dennis Schroeder gets screened and now he's the, the shape of the zone shifts and Damian Jones ends up higher. And now it's, and now it's Dennis Schroeder who is boxing out on the low, right? Then it's just on like, Siakam. okay, well, <laughs> right. yeah, he's, he's boxing out Siakam or he's boxing out Scotty Barnes or Boucher right. or Coloco. And it's just like, like, you don't have the size for this. 
And so, look, round one went to Nurse and all of his, like I said, his great white sharks who were on the hunt this game. But I thought the Lakers got some intel that will hopefully be helpful towards them in the future about how to play these sorts of schemes against a more athletic team because the shape of their roster right now means that they are going to end up in these sorts of situations. Situations. Not every night, because not every team is mm-hmm. built like the Raptors, who are, I said this in the, the text thread, but like a group of creative players from 2K, like everyone's 6'9 with a 7'4 wingspan, and it's just like, go inside and dunk the ball. That's how the Raptors are built, right? And, and so not every team is going to have those sorts of advantages, but on nights where the Lakers do need to play that sort of look, I thought it was important that they get some reps in last night. A hundred percent. And it's something where the game faded in and out of competitive, serious, uh, competitive slash serious basketball, more unserious than, than serious throughout. And, uh, and so we got some good reps and some of that was, was helpful, but also some of it was like, ah, we shouldn't be giving up this ball screen action, you know, and, and looks in the paint that we were giving up in man, but it is a building block. It is something to, uh, you know, build off of, I think, especially in those non AD minutes. And I thought our bigs especially were good in that in ways in both TB and Damian Jones in ways that for different reasons, they struggle, they struggle in our drop coverage. And so just that's one of the storylines that I think will play out more and more as the season goes on is what our 2-3 zone looks like. So let's take a break here. And when we come back, I want to talk about a player who stood out uh, to us. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment 
and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So Austin Reeves is a favorite son of the LFR pod and many others, right? James Worthy always uh, waxes poetic about him in the post game. Stu Lance as well on the broadcast. Um, but over the last three games, I believe in, in particular, his uh, not only his production, but his kind of on-court play has slipped. And it's funny, we didn't talk about this over the text thread, but before we started recording, D, we both made the observation independently of each other that Austin made a has made several kind of lazy plays in the last few games. And that's not usually a descriptor that I would give to him. Um, and between that and watching, you know, kind of open threes clank short and just he seems a bit off. And so we were talking recently, you know, about how well in, uh, in that stretch he was playing really well. And I'm like, I crank his minutes up as high as they can while keeping in mind that last year he went through this stretch where his legs went dead and he was shooting like sub 10% from three for a long stretch. Cause, and, and just like air mailing shots, just nowhere close. And so these last couple of games have started to ping on my radar on that front. And so the fact that you have, you arrived at that independently, uh, I, I thought was interesting. So tell me about what you've been seeing from Austin. I've seen a certain amount of both mental and physical fatigue from him, honestly. Um, his shot mechanics also looked a little bit funky against the Raptors. Now the Raptors can do that. They make you speed things up in ways. And the, the Raptors got several like block shots on jumpers because they had such a height and length advantage that it could have mm -hmm. just been that, but he looked to be sort of like pushing the ball a little bit more in speeding mm -hmm. up his release. And I was just like, Oh, that shot doesn't look good coming out of his hand. And Lo and behold, last night he shot one for six from three and four for 12 from the field overall. That's coming off of a three for nine game and an 0 for four three performance, right? Or and he's been in that 50, 40, 90 club. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, uh, like I'm not going to blame Mike or anything, but he went on TV during one of the games and, and did a hit on Austin Reeves being a 50, 40, 90 guy. And ever since then, he's like a, a 10, 10, 100 guy, right? Because he hasn't missed any free throws. <laughs> right, but right. He, but he hasn't been making any shots at all since then. It's so right. no Good offense, job, Mike. Mike, but, but <laughs> you're not here to defend Announce yourself. Curse. Sorry. That's right. But he he has looked a little bit tired to me and not just physically, but mentally tired. And so Austin is an extra effort guy, but he's also a think ahead and know what's going like he's a he, he, he has very quick processing speed. And it's mm -hmm. what it's what allows him to even play at this level, considering the fact that he's not a super athlete. Right. And so if you don't run as fast and you don't have these quick twitch like reactions where instinctively you're just like, oh, I'm a second jump player and I'm just going to go and go get the ball because I'm going to out hustle you or I'm just faster. He needs to process things just a step ahead, and that anticipation is what leads him to get to a loose ball or track down a rebound or make an offensive play and, or make a defensive rotation even and draw charges the way that he does. He's one of the league leaders at that. And so when I see him sort of pass a player off to no one defensively, which he did a couple of times in, in uh, the Raptors game, or I see him make choices defensively where he is taking the easier route or the shortcut route. Austin's not a yeah. shortcut player. So but I'm he's been like, doing that a lot the last few games. A lot of shortcuts. And I'm just yep. like, oh, he's this is a symptom of fatigue 
to me. And I mentioned this in context of Russell Westbrook a few pods ago that when Russ gets fatigued, he takes shortcuts. And this is true of every player. So I know that I was yep. singling out Russ that game, but it's true of LeBron. It's it's true of everyone, right? And so that's sort of what I'm seeing from, from Austin. And uh, I'm... I don't want to say I'm concerned yet about his three-point shot, but he is going to become more and more a part of the scouting report. And I'll be interested to see how teams treat him because he has been hitting the three ball at a rate that is probably above his level as a shooter, actually. Mm -hmm. And I'll be interested to see if how teams play him for his attacking the closeout as well, because he's such a good closeout attacking player that our team's going to start closing out short on him, but then they've got size. Like there's a cat and mouse game. That's a part of, of Austin game of, of Austin's attack that he's been winning a lot of those, those matchups, but it's been shifting the last couple of games. And it's just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know. Um, what the solution is or if it's a long-term problem, right? It's just something that is, like you said, pinged on our radar is that that this is a thing. And really, it's that jump shooting in the first place, that ability to knock down the open three that opens up the driving lanes. And that's where he's really at his best is when he's got the ball in his hands and he's, you know, getting them crazy and ones and hitting them pull-ups. And, uh, and, and so that is just one of the storylines to me. And also – in part of like a bigger picture roster sense, that's one of the reasons why I would love for Austin to be our second best jump shooter. Um, because I do think this is going to be a thing with him and that a lot of times too, he has a big defensive ask. And so when you add up the progressive fatigue, the defensive ask, like, and, oh yeah, we needed to shoot 40% from three. Like we need, what we need, it would be a much better situation if we needed Austin to shoot 35% from three, you know what I mean? And so that that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm really on this idea that like we need a guy who hits jump shots for a living and who's done the I've gone through an 82 game season and know how to keep my legs throughout it and know how to preserve that. And so that's it. If Austin's gonna be the dude that I think he's going to be, this is one of the things that a young player has to learn is how to you know, push through that wall that ends up hitting a guy at every point, right? And it's no coincidence that it's around that 25, 30 game mark where we're seeing that with him. Uh, and, you know, that that's usually where young players, it really starts to hit them. So yeah, just curious to see where, where this goes. Quick question for you. Do you, how, do you think, if at all, the return of Dennis and the return of LeBron and Russ really settling in now, right, as that bench creator and commandeering a lot of possessions as a bench player. Do you think Austin needs the ball more in order yes. to be more effective? 100%. And where do you think those possessions come from then? And do you see this as a challenge that needs to be resolved in some way, shape or form. It does. It does need to be resolved. And I think where those possessions come from in particular are on the AD units. Now these last two games, two of which he's struggled in, not a coincidence. Austin's one of our best plus minus guys in the AD groups. And we'll get into that in the net ratings pod that we end up doing. But those are the the groups in particular, whether Russ is on the floor or not, like Austin and Russ have gotten along very well from a, a net rating standpoint as well. And 
it makes sense basketball wise in that if you're talking on ball players, Russ is very much a power player and Austin's very much a skill player and they kind of lack the thing that the other one has. And so a lot of times those types of players can be good pairings and duos, right? And so I, I would really like to see more on ball reps. And I do think that your point is that I, I do think your point is well made in, in that Austin many times, and I understand it, but he's too good on the ball to have such reduced reps that to me that's the part of his game like he's good in ball screens with the ball in his hands whether his three-point shot is falling or not and so it's a way to like get value out of him even when that's not falling and and create good shots for the team and so I'm I'm very much on that on that train of like I'd like to see Austin up top rather than in the corner as much as he is but again it's going to look way different when AD is out of the lineup versus when he's in. I think Austin's one of the more affected by his absence. So speaking of on-ball players, I want to pivot to something, and we didn't go over this before the pod, and and so I'm kind of going to surprise you maybe a little bit here. But a guy that I mentioned in the preview for the Raptors game was Dennis Schroeder, right? And so AD only played eight minutes in that Cavs game, and we had Mike had brought this up actually a couple of pods ago is that Dennis has been playing more of a caretaker role offensively, right? And and we had talked talked about that some, but these last two games without AD and then last game in Toronto without LeBron and without AD, Dennis's usage has gone up more, right? And so against Cleveland, he went 6 for 13. 13 was the highest number of shot field goals that or or shot attempts that he'd taken all season. His previous high was 10. And he scored 16 points against Toronto. He went five for 10. He went seven for seven from the foul line and he had 18 points. This may be much to do about nothing because when everyone is back, everyone will get slotted appropriately. Mm-hmm. But what's your sense of Dennis as a like, is it good for him to still have this in his bag? Because like one of the things that I think is good about him is that he is sort of that get downhill attack player, but there's limit there's a ceiling to that just based off of his size. And so do you like that he still sort of shows that he has this in him? Or is it one of those things where you're just like, ah, throw away game, good stats, bad team? performance and it's like you don't really care that he's still showing that he has some usage to give i mean it's nice to have but i think on this team it's just less important because there are so many guards that can score you 50 15 points in a game which is what he was able to do you know against toronto and that's an important thing to have and so to me that skill right there was more important on the 2021 team where it was like if alex crusoe had 15 in a game that was fairly rare or like most of our guards were defensive you know a, a lot of our west matthews when was west going to get you 15 and so the ability to have a five for ten with seven free throw attempts night and like an efficient 17 point performance like that's something that was super useful on that team but on this squad I'm not surprised when Lonnie Walker gives us 15 Austin Reeves gives us 15 uh Kendrick Nunn has the capability of that right Pat Bev's the only guy that we have that's like Pat Bev has not scored a single double digit game this year by the way um <laughs> uh he's the only one right that that would surprise me and so It's nice that he has it, but I just think that it's less important because we're not lacking that on this team. Where are you on that? No, see, so this is where I agree with you. And it's one of those things where it's one of the reasons why I've been pleased with his general approach to the game 
before these sort of injuries to usage guys have have mm-hmm. happened in the first place is that he has just taken on more of a distributor role. He still doesn't have like elite feel, but he has enough of that to to show that it's like it's just more of a shift of the mindset than it is like mm-hmm. shift in ability, right? Because if you watch him play for Germany during uh, the summer, Eurobasket, he had all of that playmaking. And like, oh, like, look at this nifty inside pass to a guy rolling. And like, he held the defense just long enough in order for the window to open. And then he threw a nice pocket bounce pass or a lob over the top. And so he has these skills in him. But his approach as a player has almost always been like a go-get-mine sort of guard. Mm -hmm. And, and, And so leveling that out to be more of a distributor first, I think is useful for this specific Lakers team because they do have guards and then LeBron and AD who need those opportunities a little bit more in order to go off, right? Or, or to give you the offensive production that, that the team truly does need. I'm interested to see how they close this road trip though, right? It's just like, are you worried at all about like the complete evaporation of momentum? Right. Like I am, I think it's an important, I think it's important to close like this upcoming weekend against Philly and then Detroit. I think it's important to get back what we had because we like, for obvious reasons, right. A bunch of guys sat out yesterday and AD only played a few minutes. And again, the Cleveland game, I was generally happy with like once AD went out, my, my thoughts on like us winning the game. He's just, he's so critical to what we do that we're not going to beat the team with the best road record in the NBA without him. But most of that game was like, okay, that's how I want my team to look even in AD's absence. Whereas yesterday's game was just like a YMCA run that was very reminiscent of last year. That's like, you can get used to playing bad basketball like that. And so that's what I'm afraid of is that like, you just get a little used to passing that guy off to nobody on defense and not making that rotation because in the last game, even if you did make that rotation, the six, nine dude with the seven, two wingspan was going to get the offensive rebound over the top of you. And it didn't really matter if you did all that hard work. Right. And that's not a conscious thought of a player, but that's certainly what happens. And so I'm, I'm totally there, man. We've been on a real good run. I get why this back-to-back went the way that it did. I thought this was a, one of the tougher back-to-backs on the schedule. That said, like this game against Philly coming up tomorrow is an important one. Yeah. And Mike mentioned this the other day too, but it's like, the Lakers are again now after two straight losses. They're back to four games under 500. They're back to mm-hmm. 13th in the conference, right? They're behind OKC again. Now, the standings are still super bunched up. They're only actually six games back of number one, Phoenix, and, and Phoenix got the breaks beat off of them by the Celtics. So there's no celebrating that, Pete, but it, but it was right. right. Like it was funny just to. And now the Pelicans are in that number one spot. But yes, yeah, they got nobody loses by 40 at home like the like the Suns do. They've got a nap for it, Pete. Anyways. They do. So so I saw some, this totally random, but someone tweeted that um the Suns treated this game like a game seven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just made me laugh. Like you find joy where you can find it on a night where the Lakers are getting thrashed. <laughs> That's right. By a bunch of six, eight dudes. At least right? an enemy stunk too. Unfortunately, they got beat by a worse enemy, but yeah. Anyways, in getting back to the question that I asked you about momentum, like I want those good vibes to be recaptured as quickly as they can. Like the 
like there was a lot of like positive spirit, like, oh, they beat the Bucks. And then it's like, oh, the Wizards, there's a potential for a step back there. And and then it's like, oh, no, they handled their business. Um, and then now AD's basically missed two games. LeBron missed a game. And all of that seems so far away. Road trips have a way of doing that to you where it's just like, oh, OK, we've been on the road. How long now? It's like our sixth or it's like our sixth night on the road about to be. And it's and you're just away from home for a long time. And that has a way, too, of like making your brain look foggy and your legs look a little dead. Right. It's just like, all right, we're in sure. what city again? Like there's this old story and I can't remember who wrote it, but it was on ESPN about players when they're on the road for so long that they end up going to like the wrong hotel room because it was their room number from the previous from two nights ago mm-hmm. or three nights ago it's just like oh i thought i was in room 517 but really like you're on the 10th floor in this new city and it's stuff like that that happens when you're sure. just away for a long time this is where i wish mike was here so he could sort of speak to that really idea speak of, to that yeah of of what it's like but it's it's easy then to fall into a malaise like on the court as well. And so I do want them to come out strong and hungry and hopefully with LeBron and AD on the court. I mean, go back to your goals at the beginning of the road trip. This isn't the first long road, road trip that our important players have played. And you said you wanted to be over 500 for the road trip. It's right there in front of you. You got to beat Philly and Detroit, right? It does, not going to be easy, but you you have the capability and the opportunity to do that. And so it's right there for us, D. Just as these last two games, it was difficult. And like the good spirits feel like they're far away because we haven't had many of them in the last 18 months, right? So it was like this flash of like, oh, is that real? Is this, are they, are they good at least? Like not championship, but like, are they, are they a good team? And it looked like they were. And then for two games, it's looked like they weren't. And for Good reason, I think, in the last two games. But getting it back is going to be super important. All right. We will be back tomorrow. I think preview some of that uh, that weekend. Maybe talk some uh, some numbers. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! 
James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.